This week's podcast is sponsored by Direction. Welcome to another episode of Investing with IBD. It's Justin Nielsen, your host here. And I've got a question for you to think about, a little philosophical question. Uh, when you kind of think about your portfolio, is it one of those things that you have, you just kind of hold faith into the stocks that you own? Or are you looking at some cold, hard facts, some objective reality? And how do you know the difference? That's one of the questions we're going to get into here today. It's February 7th, 2024. And as always, I've got Arusha Piras from O'Neill Global Advi Advisors joining me. Uh, he is a portfolio manager over there. How are you doing, Arusha? Uh, I'm doing well, Justin. And, and once again, a, a very uh, interesting intro. <laughs> well, and uh, did you did you take philosophy classes when you were in... Uh... When you were in college or high school? No, I I, I wanted to uh, make the most of my money. So <laughs> okay. Uh oh. Well, you know, be careful. Be careful because we are gonna. Have uh, yeah, exactly. I, this, this was, this, I didn't read the crowd today, so <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. we're gonna have a doctorate of philosophy on today, uh, and of course, that's Dr. Thomas Carr. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Befriend the Trend LLC, and also Doctor Stocks Trading. Uh, great to have you back on the show, Doctor Tom. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Justin. Great to be back. Good to see you too, Arusha. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I apologize, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going to get into uh, some of the things in terms of uh, philosophical uh, philosophical considerations for, uh, for stocks and how to use that uh, for your investing. And I think, again, no better person to have on than a, a doctorate of philosophy, of course. Or was it philosophy or actually theology? Now that I Remember. Well, I uh, I uh, got my doctorate from Oxford in a combined uh, program. So I took two okay. years of philosophy, two years of theology, and then wrote a dissertation on the basis of that uh, interaction. So a little bit of both, actually. A little bit of both. Okay, covering yeah. all of our bases. And of course, you know, that's, that's also where the little nod to faith comes in. But before we get into that, let's get into the markets a little bit. And of course, we'll also get into some of the stocks that are on Dr. Tom's radar. Um, but gosh, this market, I mean, when you look at the NASDAQ composite, every time we think, okay, you know what, it's extended and it's it's got to take a break, um, it, it it lasts for like a day and then we're right back up there uh, to, to, to all-time highs in what looks like extended uh, extended areas. So uh, all-time highs for the S&P 500, I think we're, we're, you know, really kind of bumping up against that level for the NASDAQ composite as well. Uh, what's your take on how how we should be looking at the markets right now? Well, you you kind of hit the nail on the head that it it is a uh, what I what I, I like to call a market of cognitive dissonance. <laughs> That's a bit of a mouthful, but it simply means that there are a number of things going on in the market that seem seem to be contradictory. Uh, you know, you you mentioned the S and P five hundred, the Nasdaq one hundred at all time highs. But if you look at the actual number of stocks that are hitting all-time highs, it's actually quite a small number. In, in fact, in the NASDAQ, at least you've got far more stocks hitting new lows than hitting new highs. Mm -hmm. um, now, some people will say that's not a sustainable thing and we're due a very big market correction. And of course, a typical market, even a bull market, is going to have your 3 to 5% corrections, four or five of those every year. Uh, seven to 10% corrections, one or two of those every year. 
And we haven't had a good correction since September, October. Mm -hmm. So it's been a little while. Anything more than 1%, one and a half percent. We haven't even had a little dip, you know. So uh, we are due a pullback, but not necessarily because the market is a bit imbalanced. I mean, things come back into balance quite easily, quite quickly, as we see money flowing out of the big mag seven stocks at the top and flowing back into all those beaten down names that are trading around 52 week lows. And then, of course, the market can continue going higher because you still have a lot of good opportunity there. So I don't think we can look at that kind of imbalance. But again, it, it is a, um, a market of of incongruity in a, in a variety of ways. I mean, you've got you've got gold trading like the Fed is never going to um, raise rates again. And you've got oil trading like the Fed is ready to hike. Um, and you've got. Um, uh, you know, consumer confidence is at really high levels, and yet discretionary stocks have been having kind of a rough go of it. Mm-hmm. They're not nearly as uh, per- performing nearly as well as the other sectors. Uh, you've got uh, tech stocks, blue chip tech stocks, especially trading like it's 1999, and you've got small caps trading like it's 2002. So <laughs> you, you just uh, there's not a, there's not that kind of balance in the market that we usually see with a uh, a bull market, you know, the rising tide lifting all the boats, as Warren Buffett likes to say. Well, it, it's not. <laughs> yeah. And and again, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're setting up for a, a major fall or a major pullback or a major correction, but it does mean that we will likely see some sector rotation um, coming down the pike very soon. And I think we're already starting to see some hints of it. You know, we had uh, Nvidia, we had. Uh, 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 some of the semiconductors that have been so hot starting to come down a little bit. You know, yesterday, today they got back on track, but they did come down a bit yesterday. SMCI, which has just been a skyrocketing yeah. stock, uh, came in a little bit yesterday. I had a bunch of friends who were making big gains on, on selling, uh, buying puts yesterday with Friday's expiration. And mm. hopefully they sold them all yesterday and didn't hold on to them today because it was right back up. Mm-hmm. Uh you, you know, you've got um, you've got uh, Mike Wilson, who is kind of a perma bear out there shifting gears and saying uh, the market's going to go up. And then you've got Tom Lee, who's a perma bull out there recently saying, I'm kind of worried about a correction. So, again, it's a <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a market of uh, cognitive dissonance or, or uh, contrary uh, viewpoints side by side. Uh, both Citigroup and J.P. Morgan were out a couple of weeks ago with pretty bearish predictions, saying that a big correction was imminent. Um, but the reasoning is because too many people are getting into the market. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're saying the market is like too bullish, but here we right. have this bearish posture. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the argument. So, so to that end, uh, you know, in terms of things being a little extended, uh, you have a chart here from Bloomberg that shows. How the S and P 500 is, you know, well, I mean, if you look at the asset managers' futures positions, it's the highest in U.S. equities in in two years. So, uh, kind of explain what this what this means to you. Well, this was used as a uh, as evidence that the market is due an imminent correction any day now, and uh, it was published by Bloomberg. But uh, there were several analysts that were 
latching onto it and, and promoting it and, and showing that uh, asset managers are, are very, very bullish. They were very, very bullish also right at the end of the 2020 when mm-hmm. the COVID rally was, of course, in full swing and the post-COVID rally, I should say. And they started to get very bearish right at the end of 2020 and continued to be bearish for several months while the market continued on higher, you know, not Mm -hmm. not in a straight line. Of course, it never does go straight up. But uh, the market, you know, they missed out on on a good one third of the of that whole rally. Um, And for the most part, asset managers follow the price. So Mm -hmm. when price is going down, they tend to get out of the market. When price is going up, they tend to get back in. You know, if you buy the Spider ETF, you're going to outperform 80% of all asset managers just by holding that one position. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're not really the best uh, in terms of money, but it does illustrate, I think, a bit of, of this uh, disconnect that we have. You know, you've got the market continuing to go higher, and you've got quite a few people out there who are worried and fearful of a market correction. And of course, stocks like to climb a wall of worry. So yeah. as long as there are bears out there, we can be pretty sure that the market is not going to be crashing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So, so Dr. Carr, um, so you highlighted so many different, almost contradictory type of indicators, right? Mm-hmm. Where, uh, how do you balance that, right? Obviously, you've been highlighting that there is an imbalance and not everything's lining up because you don't have this broad-based uh, participation and, and a lot of the sentiment indicators aren't aligned. So taking all these kind of contradictory things, how do you balance it and, and come to a decision? Well, uh, that's a great lead-in question to uh, to a little plug for MarketSmith because <laughs> uh, MarketSmith helps all of us. Uh, number one, it gives us a good read on the overall market. You go to the MarketSmith webpage, the homepage, and you'll find out, you know, are we in an uptrend, a downtrend, a sideways consolidation? You'll learn how many uh, distribution days for the S&P 500, how many for the NASDAQ 100. You kind of keep a running track of those over time to give a pretty good sense of whether the market is topping out or bottoming out or doing something in between. But then when I run my MarketSmith scans and I've got them set to only give me the strongest stocks in the market, the leaders of the market, and whether the market is up or down, you're always going to have a a handful of leaders that are doing pretty well. Uh, So that's that's one way, right? You, You keep track of the overall market by checking in each day with MarketSmith or the leaderboard or ibdinvestors.com to get a sense of what the overall market is doing. And then secondly, you keep an eye on the stocks that are that are doing well. And those are the guys that uh, when the market is in a fully bullish mode, they're going to do very well. And when the market is not so bullish, they're going to still outperform. but yeah, it, now it, we, we do a little bit of both in terms of buying the leaders and holding on to them as long as we can and looking for those opportunities from the stocks where the sector rotation might be well coming into them. So mm-hmm. those are the guys that are really going to go 30, 40, 50 percent in a month once they come back into favor. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, finding those, that's a much more difficult trick. But again, <laughs> there are ways of locating those stocks, too. Mm-hmm. Well, and 
you know, maybe we go to the next chart because, you know, as, as you were saying, where the strength has been uh, is really been focused on tech. So, you know, when, when we talk about the S&P 500, of course, you know, the, the, the folks at State Street with the, their spider ETFs, uh, the sector ETFs and, and so on, um, they have shown that the XLK, which is the tech, has uh, been really, really uh, outperforming. And actually, we're going to need the other chart. Um, Sorry, we're, <laughs> I'm afraid I confused you all with my numbering system on the charts there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, wait, we'll go okay, so, no so, yeah, you want the, the sector spider funds, um, which is... Yeah. Where is it? Uh, and you'll, you'll see XLK at the right-hand side. There we go. So um, this now this is a five year time frame that we're looking at here. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of messiness. You know, there's 11 sector spider funds uh, that that, you know, kind of break down the S&P 500. And of course, uh, some of the top weighted uh, stocks in the S&P 500, which is a market cap weighted index, are in the tech area. So you can really see how XLK, the tech spider ETF, is far and above everything else right and that's what i wanted to show with this slide is that one of the uh, concerns one of the disconnects in this market is that you've got a, a handful of blue chip tech stocks the mag 7 and a handful of others and they're actually it's actually quite a, a fairly healthy set of tech stocks that are leading this market higher and they're outperforming by leaps and bounds above any other sector you know two to three times as much over most of the other sectors. The other thing I wanted to show out, show is that for the last two plus years, those other sectors have been pretty flat. Yeah. You know, they, they mm -hmm. had a good run after the COVID crash, which you'll see down there at the beginning of 2020. But after that, it's been pretty, uh, pretty much of a tight trading range for most sectors other than, other than tech. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things I would like to see, and I, I've been working on this thesis with the, uh, I, I run a live trading room through our website. And uh, one of the things I've been working on with some of my members in that group is the thesis that we are due not a market correction, but a, a correction in the sectors, a sector rotation. The rotation, right. Mm -hmm. The rotation, right. So, um, you know, we, we should see some money coming out of the big blue chip techs and going into things like energy and uh, communications and bonds and uh, China. Now we, we've seen China actually up about 10, 12% in the last uh, week and a half. So that's one small promising sign that might uh, lead to something a little bit bigger. We want China to come online because China is the, the marketplace for a lot of the smaller software plays and tech names and companies that really can't compete here in the, here in the United States, but mm -hmm. they can do very well in China. And if China's economy is soft, then those guys aren't going to do very well. So we want to see China come back online and that would give a real big boost, I think, to a lot of the smaller growth names that don't really have earnings yet, but you know they've got a lot of good potential. And so we're hoping for that. Energy is another sector we'd like to see come back online a bit better. Um, and small caps. Small mm -hmm. caps have been underperforming. And even here in the last uh, couple of weeks when we've seen such great gains in 
the Magnus Mag, Mag 7, the NASDAQ 100, uh, small caps are still lingering in the middle of their trading range, not near the top. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah, we do need to see some rotation. Uh, what's going to be the catalyst for it? I don't know. When is it going to start? I don't know. Uh, what are going to be the sweet spots in the market? I'm not sure yet. Uh, so we're just kind of working on that thesis. But um, one of the things, of course, we'll keep an eye on are the the inflows in terms of cash. We'll keep an eye on the option flow as well. If you start seeing a lot of longer term big bets being made on stocks that haven't been receiving much in the way of call volume, uh, that's another trigger as well for us, at least. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Arush is uh, now showing another chart that you you brought up since you mentioned the small caps. Uh, here's uh, the NASDAQ 100 QQQ versus the Russell 2000 uh, represented by the iShares uh, IWM. And uh, what, what, so what, what should we be gathering from this? I mean, it, it certainly seems like, uh, you know, when you when you compare the two, uh, it's if you're going where the strength is, QQQ is where it's at. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the one thing I wanted to point out about this chart, this is a weekly chart, and this is as much data as I could get in into that time frame. If we moved out the time frame 10, 12, 15 years, you're going to see that we're up at all time highs. Mm-hmm. So the small cap to sorry, the, the tech sector, the blue chip tech sector, NASDAQ 100 relative to the Russell 2000 uh, is at all-time highs in terms of outperformance. And one little glimmer of hope <laughs> that we're going to see some rotation out of those uh, top 100 tech names and into some of the small cap stocks is that we're starting to see some bearish divergence work into the indicators there on that double top that's forming with the in the price chart. So you can see it up at the RSI, RSI 14 at top. You've got a lower high relative to the price high, which is relative, you know, almost equal to yeah. where it was. And MACD is starting to roll over as well, a little bit more of a lower high there too. Um, it's not much to go on, I, I admit. Um, but the fact that we are at the peak or at, at the highest ever, at least in a decade or so that I can tell, of this ratio between NASDAQ 100 and small caps uh, is is worth paying attention to if we can start to see that roll over and, and uh, gain some traction to the downside, which would be an upside for the small caps. Mm-hmm. If you compare, for example, um, one of the FANG funds. So you've got FNGU, which is a 3X bull uh, mm-hmm. conglomerate of 20 weighted uh, big cap FANGs. And you've got BULZ, which is a 3X bull version of the top 15 unweighted or equal weighted uh, tech stocks. Compare that to TNA, which is the 3X bull version for the small cap Russell 2000. And you're going to see something even, you know, even more dramatic there because mm-hmm. there you're only looking at those top 15, 20 stocks. Right. So, okay. But, so I, so I the, pulled little up. We've got China coming back online. We've got the potential for small caps rallying a bit here. And, and I'm not alone in, calling for that. There have been some other guys in, I, I'm a, in a professional trading group that we bounce ideas back off of each other quite a bit. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of eyes, tw- 20 different eyes going in different directions, and that can really help. 
And uh, it's their conviction consensus generally that small caps should do a pretty good run here uh, into 2024. So I, so I, I pulled up, um, I, I pulled up, so FNGU, right? On, mm -hmm. so, so, so we have it currently up here. So, so this is the, the FANG index, three times the FANG index, which has gone on a pretty amazing run of 47% from that last cup with handle. And then when when you take a look at it and compare it to TNA, which is the right. small caps, three times the small cap, the Russell 2000 has gone nowhere, but maybe slowly setting up here, right? Maybe finding some support. Um, obviously, a breakout past the, the 42, 43 area would be a positive here. Right. It does kind of, you know, if you if you squint, you can kind of see an inverted head and shoulders there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the hopeful side of me coming in. Um, what we really need to see there, though, if you look down at the volume bars down below, you've, you're seeing a lot of red, yeah. not a whole lot of blue. And there's some very tall reds in there and, and only a handful of tall blues. So you want to see that ratio switch around a bit more blues than reds, more taller blues than reds to get a better volume balance. Uh, but until if that, that could happen next week, you know, so we'll, we'll never know. Um, but it does look like it is in the process at least of bottoming out. Mm -hmm. Well, to kind of maybe take the, the other end, which, you know, I, you kind of at, from the outset had a lot of, well, on the other hand, this, all, you know, on the other hand, this, there's a lot of, as right. you said, that contradictory uh, information. I mean, uh, you know, for, you know, the favor of, the tech stocks, especially the big cap tech stocks, you've got a lot of people, you know, still talking about AI, artificial intelligence being in it, in its infancy and Nvidia, Microsoft, um, you know, some of the big guys being the, the big beneficiaries of that AI trend. And, you know, for the small caps, you know, a potential headwind. I mean, we, we just had NYCB, uh, you know, really take it on the chin, uh, New York right. community bank core. Um, and that's been bringing a lot of the regional banks down and what is it like 15 to 20 percent of the Russell yeah. 2000 is made up of regional banks, which, you know, again, if we, you know, if, if there's another shoe to drop like we saw last year in Silicon Valley Bank, that could be a headwind for for the, uh, the, the, the small cap index, the Russell 2000. So is, is there the potential here that, you know, kind of like. You know, to 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 bring it back to what you were originally saying, you know, the trend is your fr friend. Befriend the trend. You know, if if the strength is working, you know, and and the small caps aren't, why would you be looking for it to change necessarily? Well, and and you're right. We're we're actually not in small caps. We're not in TNA or IWM, and not yet. We've been day trading. <laughs> uh, not yet. We've been day trading um, the regional bank three X. ETF fund, but we haven't been in, in that for a, about a week now. We had a couple of really nice trades, and then we got out just before the the bank, uh, New York Community Bank, crashed. Uh, this morning, however, we put on some shares of New York Community Bank when they came out with news that you know they're they're, they're not seeing much outflow. They're not seeing people running for the exits, okay. and mm -hmm. it bounced up about twenty percent within a matter of minutes. You know, it was quite a fun uh, fun little day trade. <laughs> Um, so there are plays like that. There's going to be opportunities like that, of course, every day in every sector, but we're not going after a weakness. Now, here, here's a good lesson that um, we all can learn from William O'Neill. And I want to talk a little bit about him 
today uh, also. But uh, and let me get you his exact quote here. He said, the first thing I learned about how to get superior performance is not to buy stocks that are near their lows, mm -hmm. but to buy stocks that are coming out of broad bases and beginning to make new highs. And he's absolutely right. Absolutely mm -hmm. right. So what we do, what I teach is that you use your trading account, you divide it into however, uh, based on your risk tolerance, 70%, throw it into the big leadership stocks that are doing really well, have great growth, great price performance, great relative strength. And I'll show you a little in a little bit how to find those using MarketSmith. Mm -hmm. And then take 30%, 25% and do your lotto trades, your fund money trades, the kinds of things that, you know, are much riskier. Your NYCB trades. <laughs> yeah, that's your N NYCB trades. Much riskier, but with small mm -hmm. size, you can sleep at night, not going to yeah. Uh, dent your portfolio if you take a big loss. And of course, you want to use stop losses in any case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, it, this is not a market. This is not a market for going after some of these beaten down uh, software names. And there's some beautiful companies out there that had great runs last year and are down near 52 week lows this year so far. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking of stocks like uh, Unity and and uh, mm -hmm. I can't even think of them now, but uh, Upstart and mm -hmm. a few others and uh, and some of the uh, the Bitcoin plays, you know, Mara and Riot and Coin. They they can be a lot of fun to trade, but this is not a good market for thinking that they're going to come back anytime real soon. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I just want to just say something very quickly, and then we can go on to the next uh, segment here. But, um, well, this is why, you know, Doc, Dr. Carr has, has a, a real advantage in the stock market and call that philosophy background and religion background, because you want to look at you, it, the markets, especially the way we invest, it's a lot more art than science, right? I, I was a bio major. Mm -hmm. I, I was science. There's a lot more black and white there. And if you keep it too black and white in trading and in investing, uh, you can get tripped up when things just don't make sense. And you're seeing it with a lot of really smart people out there in Wall Street. They they kept holding when the markets are going against them. They just kept holding uh, to their that let their really letting their egos get the best of them and 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 sticking to their guns, even though the market was saying that they were clearly wrong. And so that's where I think that philosophy understanding the trend and 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 belief right religion too belief in the market and listen to the market that's where that can really help you because these markets will always turn before logic can uh you know makes it get the you know really make sense of it <laughs> well and that kind of that kind of brings us to our next segment so when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about how you can kind of get those emotions out of the equation and really kind of look for those objective truths stay tuned we'll be right back Trading Apple, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, along with Arusha Pires. He joins me every week from O'Neill Global Advisors. He's a portfolio manager over there. And of course, our Special guest this week is Dr. Thomas Carr, a doctorate in philosophy and theology. And uh, that might not seem congruent with your 
finance, uh, big finance, you know, analysis and everything like that. But there's a lot that can be brought to bear uh, in the discussion with your investing philosophy, <laughs> you know, to use that term. And, you know, Dr. Tom, I wanted to kind of just start with, you know, one of my favorite allegories is the allegory of the cave by by Plato, where, you know, there's the the, the folks that are in the cave and they're, you know, looking at the shadows on the wall and they, they kind of think that's reality. And, you know, they're naming the shadows and everything like that. And it, it's not until one of the members gets outside of the cave and says, oh, no, there's there's a what we were looking at wasn't wasn't reality. You know, there, there's an objective truth out there. And, uh, you know, you fast forward a, a few hundred years uh, and you were just reminded of one of your favorites, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, in terms of that that search for truth. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you find your truth in the stock market, especially when, as we discussed in the first segment, you have these uh, contradictory uh, things coming at you and you're just trying to find out, well, what is what is the truth here? Yeah, well, thank you. And that's a great intro. I love Plato. I love that allegory. And I used to teach a course on the classical philosophy, which was my favorite all time course. Uh, yeah, so I was just actually at a conference this last weekend, and it was on the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, and I was reminded there at the conference through a bunch of papers that he has this very simple understanding of the truth. And I thought in my, you know, my, my market head, I've got kind of half a head that is devoted to philosophy, <laughs> and the other half is devoted to the stock market. Left brain <laughs> and every, right now brain. And they, every now and then they intersect. Yeah. And at the conference, I thought, you know, the light kind of came on. So Thomas Aquinas defines truth as what happens when the image inside my head of the thing I'm thinking about matches the reality of the actual thing, the thing that I'm thinking about. So if there's an equation between what's inside my head and the reality outside my head, then I'm, I'm in the truth. I am that the thoughts I'm having are true thoughts. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Aquinas realizes that you're going to have to have a third Uh, part of that equation because you need an objective viewpoint that someone that can arbitrate between those two points of reality, reality in my head and the reality outside my head. Because I don't know if the reality inside my head actually matches unless I have some third objective Mm -hmm. viewpoint that tells me so. And of course, for Aquinas, that's God or scripture or the teachings of the church. And so I started to think, what is that third objective viewpoint that, that God's eye view, if, as it were, in the market? What, where does that come from? And if you throw out that question, I think, to professional money managers and traders and so on, you're going to get a whole bunch of different answers. Uh, you know, there are folks that tune into CNBC listening to the talking heads, you know, Jim Cramer and all the rest, and they're looking for that definitive objective view of the market. Uh, they're not going to find it there, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can look at the Fed. You know, the, the old adage, don't fight the Fed. Well, if the Fed is hiking rates, you should be out of the market. If the Fed is lowering rates, you should be in the market. Uh, also not a very good uh, way of going about your investing. In fact, uh, the market, right, uh, sorry, the Fed hiked rates the fastest and the shortest distance of time in history not too long ago, 2020 and 2022, or sorry, 2022-23, and the market went up. During that time, if you look to the first cut to the first hike, rather to the last hike, it went up about seven or eight percent. It wasn't a a straight line. It was up and down. (laughs) Right. um, 
Back in 2016 to 2018, the Fed hiked a bunch of times as well. The market was up 20% during the same period. So, no, it's not the Fed. Um, it's not the VIX. It's not, which doesn't really work anymore anyway, because of the the these crazy expiration dates are all over the place yeah. now. You know, like every day for the spider. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the VIX doesn't work. The leading indicators is no longer a good uh, voice for recession. Uh, the inverted yield curve, no longer a good voice for recession. So w- what is that objective viewpoint? Well, the answer I find in the writings of William O'Neill, his objective viewpoint always was and always will be for those who follow him, uh, the price chart. The price chart is your objective viewpoint. So I can have a bullish bias toward the market. I can have a bearish bias toward the market. I can think the market's going to crash because of high credit card rates. I mean, they're, they're really crazy. The, the, the credit card rates, not both in terms of interest and money owed and defaults, they're also all not looking very good. And I can look at that and think, okay, the market's about to fall. I look at the market. I look at the price chart of the market. It doesn't say anything about about to fall. There's nothing in there that's tell, telling me it's about to fall. Uh, and if you had just listened to the market and traded the market as it is, as it is presented to us on a day-to-day basis, you would be doing just fine because the market's been very bullish since the October low and really bullish since the end of 2022. So, um, yeah, so that, that objective viewpoint in terms of the market is the price chart. That includes mm-hmm. both price and volume. I think William O'Neill was right in including volume as, a, as an important uh, key to understanding market trend and, and the likelihood that it's going to continue. Uh, and it's not an, an infallible uh, predictor at all. Uh, and no, no, neither is price for that matter, because a catalyst can come down the road, something unexpected out of the blue. And of course, then everything is off the table. Yeah. You've got to flex with that. But if you're just looking at the price chart, you look at QQQ, you look at SPY right now, and you're going to see bullish, bullish, bullish. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's the narrative going forward until other, otherwise known, you know, until some other information comes out that the market will have to discount. Mm-hmm. The market, of course, is, I've say this, I say this many times, is a future discounting mechanism. So it's always out there two to three months. You know, it's already trading the that first rate cut, which we'll probably get in May. A lot of folks still think we're going to get it in March, but I think more likely May. Um, but we're there. That's that's where the market is. It's looking out there. It's looking past these earnings, which were pretty good. Not not horrible. They were pretty good all around um, and looking out to the next quarter. So, uh, you know, if, if that's the case, then let's just listen to the market. Let the market mm-hmm. tell us what it's doing. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, I do feel like we refer to the market with almost uh, uh, omniscient uh, <laughs> qualities, right? You know, that, you know, it's, it's as you said, it's priced in, it's looking forward. Um, but, you know, I, I guess a lot of times there is that, uh, that pull to try and outguess the market, right? Well, oh, sure. you know, the market is doing this right now, but if I can... You know, if I can look out just a little bit further ahead than the market, then I can kind of <laughs> see where it's going, you know, in the future. So uh, is, is that is that kind of a fool's errand or is there is there something to that? And and look, I'm going to I'm going to call you out right now just because you were kind of saying that. Well, based on how extended we are, 
you know, mm-hmm. are we looking to sector rotation to happen in the future? It's not happening now, but right. you know, you're, you're trying to project to where we're going, right? Where the, oh, yeah. where the and, is going to be, <laughs> yeah. instead of where the buck is. And, and of course, you know, all of us who are involved in the market on a day-to-day basis, we, we want to do that. We, it's, it's our instinct to try to come up with a, a plan, a map. I always call it my daily map, right? This is what I think the market's going to do today. And there, to some extent, right, there, there are, of course, uh, um, limits and parameters within which the economy and the market in, in specifically can operate. And so it always is going to run up against uh, certain limits. However, the market is composed of human beings, <laughs> human beings who are making all kinds of decisions throughout the day, some of which are very, very important decisions. And their emotions are involved, their hope is involved, their fear, their greed are all involved. And so you're going to get a market uh, uh, overextensions, or how, how should we call them? Um, uh, you know, they, they, they move too far too fast. <laughs> and so they're bound to cool off for a little bit. Now, those are kind of the kinds of things that we can make some decisions about. But as far as actually trading those, uh, I don't like to do that too much. As I said, I'm not in small caps. I'm not in China. I'm not in energy right now. Uh, I'm in blue chip tech for the most part and doing that through, uh, through leveraged funds as well as individual names. And we'll talk about a few of those in the third segment here today. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, you just have to take it day to day. I will say this. It is... It is a fool's game, I think, to call a market top because markets have this historic bullish bias and the um, fear is a stronger emotion than greed. So the market does tend to get more overextended to the downside than to the upside. Markets like to climb a wall of worry and they're always going to be bears out there. They're always going to be folks who sell too soon, don't hang under the winners and so on. Uh, and that is just going to keep the ball rolling. It's not going to go up in a straight line, but it will go up. To the downside, however, there because you know the downside is limited, right? It can only go to zero, and it can't go yeah. any further. That's one problem. And the other problem is that you've got um, a growing economy that every time it grows, there's a, a baseline that gets a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And so when it markets start to roll over down to the downside, fear being a stronger emotion, you are going to get uh, more obvious overextension to the downside. And and there are some ways of plotting that out. So you can dig down into the market internals. You can start to look at things like bullish percents, NASDAQ summation index, put call ratios. Uh, These are the kinds of things that will highlight uh, excessive fear. And you know, there are, there are moments. They don't happen very often. We had one in October. We had one in 2022. There are moments when you, you got to back up the truck. You got to put a second mortgage on the house and, you know, sell the car and, and put all that money into the market because it's a very good buying moment and they don't come around very often. But doing that for the top, as we saw with the professional money managers, right? They, they got out too early way back then. And they're probably getting out too early now. Um, it's a much, much more difficult process to call a market top. 
So, Dr. Carr, uh, so you just came back from the three-day conference in religion, and you've obviously been studying religion for a long time. Uh, are there a number of lessons there that have have translated over to the stock market, and especially with kind of these uh, extreme markets where fear takes the the best of everyone, right? And human mm-hmm. nature takes over and psychology. Um, has that helped translate and made, maybe made it easier for you versus a, a number of others who are, who are uh, getting into the market? Well, yes, it has. Um, actually, my doctoral dissertation was on the theory of interpretation. Mm-hmm. And I should say theories because there are competing theories out there. And I was working in one particular field. And th- this comes into play in the area of religion because scholars are interpreting ancient texts, right? Written thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago. And how do we understand that in the light of the current context? So that the discipline of interpretation involves the bracketing off of your prejudices or biases or your prejudgments toward what it is that you're interpreting. I think that's a perfect way of approaching the market. We come to the market, of course, with the desire to make money. I mean, that's kind of the given. That's sort of the the intuitive uh, form of stock trading. But we also need to understand that if I think the market is going to do A and it ends up doing B, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. So I need to come to the market and not think either A or B and allow the market itself to say what it's doing. Let the market tell me what it's doing. And of course, there are ways of measuring that objectively, right? You can measure the relative strength. You can measure a comparative, as we saw before with the sector indexes, and you can see what's hot and what's not. So the market will reveal its hand, so to speak, and tell us what it is. And we don't necessarily have to have to interpret it. We simply have to receive it and then respond. Our response, of course, is the key thing. So how do you respond to a bull market? How do you respond to a bear market? How do you respond to a long-term bull market that's maybe long in the tooth? You know, um, What do you do in a market pullback that goes back down to a area of support? And there are all sorts of different ways of approaching the market, trading the market, uh, benefiting the best from those scenarios. But again, the market has to tell us those things. We, we mm-hmm. don't come to the market and say, I'm, I'm going to put on a bunch of uh, inverse hedge funds right now, be, uh, inverse uh, exchange traded funds, because I know the market two weeks from now is going to be lower. Well, I don't know that. Uh, I might think it might do that, but that, that, there's no guarantee. So we just, you know, we get in there day to day. And and the one difficulty when the market's in a tight trading range, which the S&P has been in, is starting to break out. The NASDAQ is still kind of in a, about a two-week base or so. The small caps are definitely in a very tight trading range and not really going anywhere. Um, the difficulty in that time frame is that, in that kind of market, is that you're going to get frustrated day to day. You're going to get long on a day that looks great and you're going to get at the top of the range. And then the next day it's down at the bottom of the range. And it just, you know, so one of the things we do in response to that, and we love trading ranges actually, is we do a lot of put premium selling. Yep. We, we sell puts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, if you get put into shares, you've got your favorite stock at a discount, which right. I love. I love to buy at a discount. 
Um, and then and if you're put chairs, then you turn around, you sell calls, right? You just do this wheel play over and over. Um, so we've been doing that a fair bit. We do that with Apple, with Google, um, and a few others. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, that, that that seems like a good good place to kind of wrap up here. And uh, I just wanted to also point out kind of to, to Arusha's uh, original question on, you know, that kind of use of religion, I think uh, some people might be interested in one of your initial appearances, uh, it's called Faith in Trends. And right. that's something that people can find uh, when you're on the podcast, you know, talking about how how you kind of came to your investing uh, career uh, through through theology and philosophy. So definitely worth watching that. Uh, that can be found on YouTube or, of course, on Investors.com. Uh, it's titled Faith and Trends with Doc, Dr. Thomas Carr. So uh, when we come back, we're going to take a look at one of the screens that Dr. Carr uses quite a bit and some of the stocks that are coming up on his radar right now. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Tesla, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leveraged and inverse ETFs from Directions. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, along with Arusha Paris. He's a portfolio manager over at O'Neill Global Advisors, and he joins me every week. And also, we have as our special guest, coming back to the show, Dr. Thomas Carr, also known as Dr. Stocks, the founder of drstockstrading.com, and uh, also the CEO and founder of Befriend the Trend, LLC. So uh, let's get into some stocks. So first of all, let's start with one of your favorite screens in terms of how you find stocks. And again, in your in your search for truth, let's say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, just remind our audience that uh, what we're doing here is we're using uh, tried and true tools to find the leaders of the market. I learned this from William O'Neill, reading his book and hearing his webinars and so on. And, uh, you know, he used to give a Sunday webinar. Some of you probably attended these and he would go over the market, the general market, he would talk about politics for about half an hour, and then he would get into the stock charts, and everyone would get so excited on Sunday night for the charts that he was talking about, it would rush out Monday morning and, and buy the stocks. And that's kind of what we do now with MarketSmith. MarketSmith is the, the, the uh, William O'Neill consolidated. Um, so I assume now you can see MarketSmith on your end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to uh, open up the editor of what I call my A-list scan mm -hmm. and give you a kind of peek under the hood, as it were, of what is involved in this scan. Now, MarketSmith comes with a variety of pre-built scans, canned scans, and you can use those to find some great leader leading stocks. Uh, I tweak most of those a bit, and then I also use the proprietary uh, uh, MarketSmith um, metrics for fundamentals and technicals because i think they're so good and they really this is like um it's like a scanning tool on steroids it really is very very robust mm -hmm. so i start off with the eps rating which is a measurement of both eps growth and accelerating growth over time i want to give it at least an 85 ranking to that so 85 percent of the stocks trading out there are worse off than the ones that are going to come through this filter and then the relative strength uh, rating is at 85 as well. So we want to make sure that we're getting stocks that are actually in an uptrend or have been in an uptrend or starting to trend higher. 
an SMR rating of A, and to me, this is one of the keys to my A-list scanning tool. And SMR stands for uh, sales, growth, uh, margins, and return on equity. And you put those three things together and you get two, two very important pieces of a company. You get their uh, pricing power because their sales are good and their margins are very good and in, in growing. And you also get very good management. So mm-hmm. if you have a high uh, return on equity, 25% or more per year, uh, that means the management knows what to do with the company. They're, they're very efficient. They're making good returns and so on. So SMR is what Will, uh, William uh, Buffett, Warren Buffett, <laughs> talks about as a moat around the company. If you've got an SMR of A, you've got a good moat. I want an ex- a accumulation distribution rating of an A or B, which means uh, share, more shares are being accumulated than being distributed. The individual group that this stock is in has to be at a strong relative strength. So we're going to leave that at A. That's the best. Uh, means every stock in that group, whether it's a uh, semiconductors or uh, security, cybersecurity or industrials, is also very strong in terms of its relative strength. A comp rating of 90, minimum of 90. I want a pretty liquid stock. So uh, 500,000 shares average being shared, uh, traded per day. That's my minimum. A current price of $15 per share. That's We don't want to trade penny stocks. We don't want to trade stocks that are way down below $15 a share. And in fact, most of the stocks we trade are in the triple digits. Um, an EPS estimated current year of at least uh, 1%, which is to say that this year over last year, the company has raised its forward estimates for the current year of at least 1%, which is just basically a way of saying the company is is more hopeful for next year or for this year than they were for last year. And then we do the same thing for next year's earnings. So -hmm. the company is more hopeful for next year than it is for the current year. If you get Mm -hmm. those two together, you've got a a really good growing uh, company. Len Zacks, who's the founder of Zacks Investment Research, he did his MIT PhD on the this particular fundamental metric and he learned that this was the only fundamental metric that had a um, consistent positive correlation to forward price movement hmm. so you got those two together you've got you know you've, you've already kind of ruled out stocks that are not going to be doing as well over the next quarter and lastly a timeliness rating so this is your technical strength uh uh, setting up inside of a base or uh, a, a pattern of some kind, a bullish pattern, a continuation pattern, maybe a new breakout. And that all comes under the timeliness rating. And that's uh, an A. Yeah. And you click on that, you get 29 stocks that flow through all those filters, which is a good, healthy set to choose from. And, and, and I, I just want to point out that yeah. the, the starting point was 10,114, uh, you know, names from the database you know, the EPS, you know, that knocks it down to under a thousand. So you get rid of 9,000, right. you know, straight off. And then you knock, a, you know, another six or, you know, a hundred or so with the RS rating. And then it's just kind of fine tuning from there uh, until you get down to your, your, your 29. So again, you know, no one wants to go through 10,000 stocks, but 29, <laughs> I can have 29 that. is manageable. That's right. Yeah. And, and we can even go a little bit further. If you go over here to the far right, you'll see a column called comp rating we just cl- click on that and it will rank 
all the stocks, though, 29 stocks based on comp from best to not so good, because 90 is our minimum. So it's they're all pretty good. Mm-hmm. That brings up uh, three at the top here, at least a, a couple at the top. There's Annette, which is a... Um, a uh, networks, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They do, uh, they do the hardware for computer networking. Great. I mean, the fundamentals are just off the charts. You've got two little green triangles here. I always call those the green eye candy. Uh, it means that the, the estimates are going up. You can see how much they're going up, 43% this year, 11% next year. And uh, relative strength is good, 96. I also like about this chart, you have the three primary ma- uh, moving averages. And here we're talking now about looking at the price chart and letting it tell us what it is. It's telling us it is very bullish <laughs> because we have the 20 period moving average above the 50. We have the 50 above the 200 and they're all rising. You can't get any more bullish than that. So you've got three stacked uh, SMAs and they're all in the right position and they're all they're all in an uptrend. Yeah. Um, now, do you buy this like tomorrow morning? Well, you could because it's actually a little bit below the 52 week highs pulled back over the last couple of days, just a bit, just a smidge down to the 20 period moving average. More, uh, more a better uh, entry would be something that would be more of a multi-week, two to three week pullback, something like here, nice soft little landing pullback into the rising 20 period moving average, about three or four days in a row of just holding steady there. And then you buy the big breakout bar. You also want to look down here at volume and you're going to see a lot more blues than reds and a lot taller blues than reds. And that's, of course, exactly what we want to see. That's that the beauty of that accumulation distribution rating. It weeds out those that are that have a pretty neg- negative or bearish volume balance. Um, mm-hmm. So if you look at this and, you know, we're talking about that objective viewpoint, um, the reality inside my head is that this is a bullish chart. The chart itself is telling me that it's a bullish chart. And the third objective principle is the chart itself, which seems to be quite bullish. <laughs> so we've got everything. Well, I guess the, the question, though, is and, and maybe you could go to the weekly chart for this. Um, you know, you look at this and uh, our, our big question is, are things extended? You know, this, uh, as you mentioned, it's it's at, you know, 52 week highs down 3.6 percent uh, from its from its 52 week high. And you can see that in the upper right hand corner, um, the, you know, up down volume ratio, that's 1.7. Uh, but this has been running and it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's getting extended. So to your point, it, this, this, this came off 3.6%. Is that enough? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you were kind of mentioning that, that move that was to the 20 period, which, um, was maybe a little bit of a better entry, but how do you kind of you know, act on something. Oh, also, I should mention, you know, that we're, we're, we're seeing that this has earnings due in five days. Right. So you know, that's right. another and factor. I, I always counsel folks, don't just don't hold over earnings unless mm-hmm. it's a long term investment. That's fine. We, right. We have positions in stocks that we've held for several years. And of course, you hold those over earnings. But if it's a trade, no. Now, Trading it, buying it into earnings and selling the day of uh, prior to the earnings that evening, perfectly reasonable mm-hmm. thing to do because stocks often when there's a lot of anticipation in a very strong company like this. And you can go back over the last two quarters where they really blew it out of the park, right? Really got running high after earnings. 
Uh, of course, they sold off into earnings. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's one of those things, you know, it, you try to find the pattern and you're sooner or later going to find some evidence that runs against it. Um, but no, this it, there's not a lot out there in the market that is at a support level after pullback. Yeah, right. so, so Dr. Not, so not the leaders anyway. So Dr. Stock, maybe let's just go through yeah. one more on this list and we'll just go to the second one right here, right? The yeah, yeah. The, the, the crowd strike and we, we can walk through this and and you're right. Yeah. Now now this is where uh, a, this is where I think all of us might have or a number of us might have a different difference in in opinion in philosophy here, right? Where yeah. if you're a shorter term trader, if you have a shorter time frame, even emerging out of this small little two week uh trading range, that might be an entry for some. But uh, for others who might be following kind of the more traditional uh, O'Neill methodology, uh, they, they may say, you know what, it's extended. We got to let it uh, pull back or maybe you add to the 21 the day. But how do you mm -hmm. see this stock and, and, and uh, what, what do you like about it? Well, I, for one, it's in a great sector and it's, the sector has been uh, sh shifting out and sorting out, sifting out, I should say some of the weaker members. Um, Fortinet, I think most most of these guys are rising. Most of these cybersecurity plays are rising on Fortinet, which came out last night. It was beaten down horribly in the last couple of quarters and came out with a wonderful report last night and was way up. Now, it did come almost back all the way down to the to the uh, entrance, uh, sorry, the previous close by the time it closed trading today, but it really shot higher and it put a big uh, spur underneath the the two biggies in the in that group are CrowdStrike and um, uh, P A N W. I'm can't yeah. think of the uh, Palo Alto. Yeah. Palo Alto. Palo Alto. Palo Alto. Yeah. So this actually is a classic William O'Neill uh, base breakout, right? It's a it's a tight tight base about two and a half weeks. I mean, if you consider if you go back a little bit further, you can kind of say the base was forming back here, so about three or four weeks. Uh, now it's is a short term trade, so you're going to look for about a four or five day move. And when you get that first red bar, you're out uh, or you trail up a stop. It's even better trail up a stop under the lows of the previous day and let the market take you out of the trade. So we're just looking at short term trades here, but you want to make sure that you're doing that kind of thing in, in leaders like this with very, mm -hmm. very bullish. I mean, look at the volume balance down there. It's very, very healthy. Uh, the SMAs are exactly where you'd want them. Yes, a better entry would be right here, about 238 on that pullback into the rising SMA or even back here, 170, pull back into the rising SMA near the 50. Um, but we're not there. We're up here. We have to trade what the market gives us. And we've got a three-week tight base with a breakout today on very good volume. Um, so that should see some follow-through. And there's nothing in the market, as far as I'm seeing, that is going to tell us that we're at the top here. So as long as the market continues to not go down, it doesn't have to go up. But as long as it not it doesn't go down, then a trade like this would be pretty good. Yeah, and I I, I should disclose that I do have a position in this myself. Um, I mm -hmm. think my average cost is around one one sixty five uh, between one sixty five and one seventy. So I've got a lot of uh, cushion on this one, and I've just been you know letting it ride. I was actually. Uh, uh, adding a little tiny bit uh, as it as it you know crossed 300 here, um, but could you could you go to the weekly chart because again you know one of the issues here as with a lot of stocks you know you look at the weekly chart and it's just you know it's it's had this you know phenomenal move 
mm -hmm. kind of cleared the the old highs of 2021 uh, with with ease, you know, kind of, you know, pause there for for a little bit and then, you know, really kind of, uh, you know, plowed through. Um, as you mentioned, the, you know, the base, this most recent base is two weeks, which, you know, normally Bill was looking for bases at least five weeks for the flat base and, um, you know, longer for the cup with handle. So not not a base in terms of that position trade. But as you mentioned, you're kind of looking for, you know, short term trades, things that have paused a little bit for maybe just a, a small gain going forward, right? Right. You, you either you either get a small pause down to, uh, you know, you can drill down to the hourly chart and mm -hmm. you're going to see a line of support. You get a buy some shares down there and then buy a few more as it breaks out of the top end of the range. That's one way to trade something like this. But all of this has got to be very short term. Mm -hmm. We're just not in the kind of market that is a back up yeah. the truck. Uh, kind of thing. Now, personally, for me, what I would be doing with something like CrowdStrike is selling puts, sell the 300 puts and hang on to those for a week. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be pulling in, uh, I don't know, two or $300 per put, mm -hmm. uh, as long as it doesn't uh, cross back down below 300. And if it does, then you're into the shares at a discount. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but for short term swing trade, if you want to buy the shares, uh, it's maybe a little late today to get in, but it was certainly a good day to get in today early on. And then you trail up your stop underneath the pivot lows of each new bar. Yeah. And as a reminder, when you're, you know, selling puts, you know, or, or, or selling calls, if, if you're doing that, you know, naked, uh, you know, make sure that you've got kind of the cash, you know, yes, available exactly. and, yeah, and, and, that, and that it makes sense for you. Right. You know, uh, right. cause in this case it's a $300 stock, you know, do you want to have, uh, you know, 100 shares of it, that's a contract. So, you know, you do the math and that's that's a $30,000 position. So make sure that's something that you're- Absolutely, you're no, I, I agree. And you, you have yeah. to have a large account to do that. And the, your broker won't even let you get into the position if you that's don't. True. That's true. Yeah, so, right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, well, hey, uh, Dr. Thomas Carr, always a pleasure having you on. Um, thank you again for, you know, the, the little philosophy and uh, theology lessons. Uh, good, good to have the professor in uh, for, for those discussions. And uh, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see you next time. Really appreciate it. And I also want to just mention that uh, for, for those that want to kind of get more information, uh, maybe following you on Twitter would be a good idea. That's at Dr. Stocks, S-T-O-X-X. Uh, for, for the Twitter, or I should say X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, so thanks again for being on. Thank you, it. Justin. Thank you, Rusha. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, please join us next week. It's going to be a little wee time uh, on Valentine's Day. So uh, yeah, uh, Arusha and I are going to spend that together. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what we can find and if the stock market is still something we love or if uh, we're going to break up right before, you know, right before Valentine's Day so we don't have to get it a gift. So uh, thanks a lot for watching. We'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. 
make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.